0: Welcome to the Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller from WMHT.org. David Allen Miller conducts the Albany Symphony, and he provides commentary on the WMHT Live broadcast. David's commentary is full of fascinating stories about the music, the performances, and more. In order to keep the program mostly music, some of what he provides ends up on the cutting room floor. This podcast contains no music, but it does contain all of David Allen Miller's commentary from the concert broadcast on WMHT Live from WMHT FM, your classical companion. The Conductor's Notes podcast, featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony concert broadcast, is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music. Our concert began with one of my
1: all-time favorite overtures. Uh, it's one that I learned as a, a very young conducting student. It's the overture to Karl Maria von Weber's opera... Der Freischutz. Um, And der Freischutz uh, loosely means the free shooter or the free shot. Uh, And it's actually all about foresters in the woods, in the the forest in Germany. The piece was written in 1821. Weber was a a much respected and loved young composer. He didn't live a very long life, but he was a, a cousin of Mozart's, actually, through his wife, through the Weber family, and kind of lived in the shadow of Mozart a little bit and a little bit in the shadow of Beethoven as well, but was known for great lyricism and some beautiful. Piano and orchestra works and uh, clarinet works, also I should mention that he, he was particularly known for his great operas, of which this is the greatest and most famous and and This is a really significant work in the history of German operatic tradition because this was really the first German opera that really celebrated German folk music and folk culture it 's about this young forester Max, who's very much in love with the chief forester's daughter, a young lady named Agatha and it seems that uh, this time in, in the, the story, the young uh, hunters all actually do a, a sort of shooting competition to win the hand of Agatha. But Max has been having terribly bad luck with his shooting. So a rather evil compadre of his, a fellow forester named Kaspar, offers to help him. And it turns out that Kaspar has been forging what are called magic bullets, uh, sort of calling on this evil spirit, Zamael, sort of a stand-in for the devil, uh, to help him forge these bullets that... Will go to wherever target, whichever target you wish they will go to. But of course, in exchange, in a Faustian bargain, the shooter must uh, do a a deal with the devil and ultimately give up his soul. So Kaspar basically. It kind of lures Max into engaging in this nefarious activity, and uh, the opera unfolds with this love story between Max and Agatha and all this wonderful kind of uh, uh, very rustic color, lots of German folk music, uh, not, not actual folk music, but, but folk-sounding music and folk dance woven into the, the fabric of the opera. And then at the end, uh, Max uses this magic bullet, and fortunately, it, it uh, is deflected by this very religious hermit, and instead of hitting Agatha, it hits Cosper and uh, Max is ultimately forgiven and the two are allowed to marry and everybody lives happily ever after. But uh, the piece took the German Opera public by storm because they had never imagined that uh, opera could so wonderfully celebrate their own kind of history and tradition, and really made Weber a, a huge household name. Uh, the overture uh, is really a, a great reflection of the entire opera, even though it lasts only eight or nine minutes. You have all the sort of light and darkness of the opera in in the overture. It starts uh, with with some very well beautiful sound of of, of uh, the horns calling calling the hunters slow beautiful pastoral horn music and then uh, actually very threatening and dark music that's a fo- associated with this the, the sort of most celebrated scene in the opera what's called the Wolfsglenn scene the Wolfsglenn is this very uh, Halloween-worthy, mysterious glen where uh, uh, evil spirits seem to reside and where Casper goes and then goes with Max to forge the magic bullets. Uh, and the, the scene, uh, the, the Wolfsglen scene is this fantastic kind of uh, supernatural scene with offstage invisible chorus and and terrifying sounds with the chorus and the orchestra, and and a lot of that music finds its way into the overture, uh, and that's juxtaposed back and forth against this very beautiful kind of triumphant hopeful music that agatha sings as she's waiting for Max to return from the hunt so it 's a, a wonderful kind of back and forth between dark, mysterious music and really joyful, wonderful music ending as the opera does with triumph so here now the overture to Karl Maria von Weber's opera Der Freischutz, the free shot. It features the Albany Symphony conducted by me, David Allen Miller.
0: This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org.
1: That was Weber's Overture to Der Freischutz played by the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Alan Miller, the opening work on our opening gala special concert of the year. This was a a very exciting concert for us because it was built around celebrating that extraordinary, great American pianist, Emmanuel Axe. Emmanuel Axe had been intending to come perform with us two seasons ago when we recorded Christopher Rouse's amazing piano concerto Seeing, about sort of the madness of Robert Schumann, and uh, had had to uh, withdraw due to a pinched nerve, but very graciously offered to come back whenever we needed him. Uh, And so we asked him to open our season and do a special gala event, which he very graciously agreed to do. And he had two works that he really wanted to share with us on this program that he brought to us. Uh, First, a beautiful piano concerto by Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart that we're about to hear, and then a a major uh, virtuosic tour de force by the great French composer César Franck, which we'll hear later in the program. And then we built around that, those two works, uh, some other sort of celebratory works to bring our our season uh, opening to our public. So the next work is this magnificent Mozart piano concerto, number 14, Kerschel 449, E-flat major. Uh, Mozart, as you know, was really the, the absolute pioneer of this genre of the piano concerto and wrote a stream of piano concerti which stand as the absolute pinnacle, at the apex of the piano concerto repertoire. Before Mozart, there certainly were keyboard concertos by Haydn and others and, and even back to the Baroque period by, by Bach and such for the harpsichord. But the piano had really just begun coming in at the very end of the Baroque period and it was only in, in Haydn and Mozart's time in the 17. 17- really the 1770s 80s 90s that the fortepiano as it was then known this precursor of the modern day big pianoforte came into style and mozart was really one of the greatest uh, performers on the instrument and when he moved to vienna uh, i think in uh, 1781 Uh, The way he started his career there was really performing on fortepiano as an incredible virtuoso for mainly the nobility in Vienna, but then for a much broader audience of just the very wealthiest Viennese. The piano was really his ticket to fame uh, in that starting uh, at about the time of this piano concerto, number 14, he wrote an incredible stream of works. uh, I believe over two years, uh, between seventeen. 84 and 86, he premiered 12 piano concerti, which is an amazing number, uh, in concerts that he himself organized and gave. So in addition to being the greatest composer of the age, he was also an incredible impresario. Uh, Very few people had done this where they actually put on their own concerts, arranged to have an orchestra, perform with them as soloists, and then sold tickets, subscriptions essentially, to wealthy people and then also would sell copies of the music to so-called subscribers. And Mozart had... um, really three or four years of incredible not only good luck but, but great revenue uh, from these concerts and they really made him a, a huge culture figure a kind of rock star in Vienna and beyond because uh, everybody was waiting to hear what incredible new fantasy he would develop in his new Piano concerto, uh, whatever one is, was about to be premiered, he really wrote them f- for this purpose to kind of show off not only his brilliant pianistic technique but also his um, his incredible uh, fantastical um, musical innovations that he could present on the piano, things that had never been done before on the piano, that had never been heard before on the piano. And as we all know, looking back some 200 from, from the future, 200 plus years, not only were these, by that era's standards, rather acrobatic works, but they are among the most sublime and beautiful artworks in all of history. So this, this group of these piano concerti stands is one of the great bodies of, of musical literature in all of human creation. Uh, so anyway, this is the very first of this important series of them. And interestingly, Unlike the others, this one, uh, we believe, was written for a student of Mozart's. He himself probably played it and performed it, but he wrote it for a lovely young lady named Babette Ployer, who was the daughter of a diplomat and a student of his and a very popular and, and much-loved young lady and pianist. And what's fascinating about this particular concerto is that because he was not writing for himself, he put in a huge amount of elaboration, of filigree, of, of, of wonderful, uh, fantastical stuff that he normally probably wouldn't have notated in the score if he were writing just for himself because he would have just naturally done it. But since someone else was playing the concerto, he actually notates, particularly in the slow movement, these wonderful little turns and phrases and and, uh, embellishments in it. So it's a great chance for us looking back to see how a Mozart concerto probably would have, found, would have sounded in his hands. Uh, also, he, he writes a rather extensive cadenza of his own creation to end the first movement. Very often with these concerti, he wouldn't write out the, the solo cadenza that ends the first movement. He would just extemporize it on the spot. But so it's a great chance for us to look at how he probably performed these works. And, and Mozart writes a wonderful letter to his father about these works. He's actually referring to the three... Concerti he wrote just before this one. He says that these concerti are a happy medium between what is too easy and too difficult. They're very brilliant, pleasing to the ear and natural without being vapid. There are passages here and there from which the connoisseurs alone can derive satisfaction. But these passages are written in such a way that the less learned cannot fail to be pleased, though without knowing why. So always keeping in mind kind of both the extremely educated audience and the not so educated audience and trying to really win both audiences over. Then he says, in order to win applause, one must these days write stuff which is so inane that a coachman could sing it, I guess it was too accessible, or so unintelligible that it pleases precisely because no sensible man can understand it. So he was really trying to write these works right down the middle to be both erudite enough to charm the connoisseurs and direct enough to charm the populace. Uh, and in fact, he, he did that in a most winning way. Immanuel uh, Axe, this evening's uh, superstar soloist, has made much of his career performing these Mozart Concerti. This is a favorite of his, and he requested that we do this piece. It's, it's one of the more intimate and delicate. Begins uh, First movement is an unusual uh, first movement of a Mozart concerto in that it's in 3-4. You know, Usually the opening movement is in 4-4 four, four, or maybe 2-4. Uh, so it's got this wonderful, almost, not quite quite waltzy feeling, but a certainly dancey feeling. Beautiful, elegant, slow movement, and then a, a wonderfully contrapuntal Last movement, sounding like a little bit of a of a throwback to the Baroque period, to Bach and others like that. Bum 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 bum. And he does this wonderful stuff where there are little fugues and little contrapuntal touches throughout the movement. So a charming piano concerto, the first of the great epic series from the 1780s by Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, concerto number 14 in E flat major. It's performed by Immanuel Ax with the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller.
0: This is the Conductors' Notes podcast, only from WMHT FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. Even though this was a very special gala
1: celebration of the great Emmanuel Ax, it being also an Albany Symphony concert, we very much wanted to feature a new work by a young American composer. And in fact, I found a. Beautiful piece that acted as a wonderful kind of juxtaposition to these rather classical works on the program. It's by a young uh, American composer who's based in New York City. She's also a brilliant violinist named Jesse Montgomery. Uh, She started out principally as a violinist uh, and went to Juilliard, but also as a a young person studied at the Third Street Music Settlement School. And her teacher was a very interesting violin teacher because she not only taught standard violin practice, but she also taught improvisation. So from a very early age, Jesse began improvising on the violin and now is quite a a celebrated violin improviser and also a a, a lovely uh, young composer. Uh, She's also very much involved with this great organization out of Detroit called the Sphinx Organization, which is actually an organization that promotes young African-American and Hispanic-American classical musicians and helps them with career development. And she plays in an ensemble sponsored by the the Sphinx called Sphinx Ensemble, as well as a a brilliant quartet they have called the Catalyst Quartet. But she also finds time in her very busy schedule uh, when she's not teaching and playing and uh, and performing to uh, to compose and uh, she's written some some wonderful works. Uh, this is a piece that she actually wrote originally for string quartet called Source Code. And the idea as she described it at our concert is that it's uh, really her own imagined spiritual. She takes a lot of the sort of intervallic aspects of traditional spirituals and fashions her own very soulful and beautiful spiritual and then kind of stretches it out over time. So it becomes a very kind of distended, gorgeous uh, spiritual but very slowly unfolding and then she puts very interesting textural things against it. So you'll hear it, uh, you'll hear this very uh, beautiful kind of long slow melody but you'll also hear these wonderful kind of variants on it uh, set against it. It's about eight minutes long for string orchestra only and uh, this is the world premiere of the orchestral version of Jesse's piece Source Code. The way she described the title is that uh, you know source is going back to the source of so much uh, black American African American music whether it be gospel or jazz or blues that the source of it is, is spirituals and is this very early uh, music song by by slaves and uh, so that's the source and the code is kind of like this idea that that there are these aspects of it that are are consistent throughout the genre so here is uh, the world premiere of the orchestral version of jesse montgomery's source code for string orchestra the strings are the strings of the albany symphony conducted by me david Allen miller
0: this is the conductor's notes podcast only from wmhtfm your classical companion and wmht.org that was the world premiere performance of Jesse Montgomery's
1: Source Code for String Orchestra, performed by the Albany Symphony Strings. Next on our program, a, a bit of a, of a departure. When I spoke to Emanuel Axe about two summers ago and, and uh, w- talked through with him what he would like to play on this program, I said, well, is there any piece that you've always wanted to do? And he, he sort of laughed and he said, well, the only thing I really want to do is I want to conduct Verdi's Aida of course he's never conducted he's not doesn't really consider himself a conductor he's very he's a very He's a very, I don't know shy is the right word, but he's a very uh, humble, unassuming person and seems to have no real ambition to conduct. but when he said that that he wanted to conduct Aida, I said, "Oh really?" And, and he said, yes, well, you know my wife and I just love to go to the Metropolitan Opera. They live both in the Berkshires where they have a beautiful home right near Tanglewood where he spends his summers, but they also have a, an apartment uh, that they, their, I guess their principal re- uh, residence in New York City, and so when he's not on the road, which is seldom because he's on the road I think 54 weeks a year, uh, more weeks than there are in a year. When he's not on the road, they're often at the Metropolitan because they just love opera and they particularly love Italian opera and Verdi in particular, particular. And so he said, I would love to conduct Aida. So I said, well, I'm not sure we can program Aida, but maybe we can do something. And so I called him up some weeks later and I said, listen, I'm going to put this beautiful little bit of ballet music from Aida on the program and I'd love it if you would be willing to conduct it as an encore and uh, he, of course, being way too humble and self-effacing, said, "Oh no, no, I could never do that. I wouldn't do that. No." So, uh, but I figured, well, as an homage to him, since this is his favorite music, why not leave this little bit of Verdi on the program? So here is the ballet music. This is the the slave dancing, uh, uh, the the slave dances when the uh, Egyptians bring in their slaves. Uh, they do this very exotic dance, uh, and it's a, a charming ballet from the second act of Verdi's Aida.
0: This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. The Conductor's Notes podcast, featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony concert broadcast, is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music.
1: That was the Albany Symphony playing the ballet music by Verdi's Aida, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. The final orchestral work on our program, the final uh, announced work on our program, uh, another selection uh, made by Emmanuel Axe, is a piece that uh, he actually had spent a lot of time as a young man playing, but has not played in probably over 30 years, uh, but decided he really wanted to put it back into his repertoire. It's a work that at one time was one of the absolute most popular piano pieces in the repertoire for piano and orchestra. It's by the French composer César Franck. César Franck was reputed to be maybe the greatest French. French organist of his time in the mid-1800s. was also a very esteemed professor who taught most of the significant French composers of the generation after his at the Paris Conservatory. And he became a composer sort of late in life. And this is a work that's rather late in his life, about five years before his death, written in 1885. I think he was born in 1822 and lived to 1890 or some, somewhere around there. So this is a, a rather mature work of César Franck. And uh, it's a work for piano and orchestra called the Symphonic Variations. And I'm, I was struck, by it and, and sort of uh, working on it, that every great pianist between the years, you know, 1890. And 1970, recorded and performed this work a great deal. It's like the Grieg Concerto in that it's one of these works that was immensely popular and played constantly. And then somehow, for whatever reasons, just because tastes change, I guess, and, and popularity of works ebbs and flows, uh, it sort of fell out of favor and, and really is heard very seldom now. But Maniacs wanted to put it back into his repertoire, and so we were delighted to do it. It's a very um, interesting and unique kind of piano fantasy. It's called the Symphonic Variations. And in fact, at the center of it. it has this set of gorgeous, six gorgeous variations, but it's really kind of a three-part form. It begins with a slow, mysterious, uh, well, a sort of more dramatic introduction. The orchestra says very declamatory things, and are, those are answered by a sort of slow, introspective, pianistic piano line. And then eventually, after I think probably... Four or five minutes, the pianist launches this set of very charming variations, and the last third of the piece is a is more of a fantasy, a kind of fast, lively finale based on the opening material. So it's kind of an ABA sort of form, but with these fascinating variations in the middle, and it's played continuous without stopping. It's about 15 minutes in length. Uh, so we were delighted to be able to do this this charming work with Emmanuel Ax. Here it is, uh, the last work on our program: César Franck's Symphonic Variations. The pianist is Emmanuel. Axe. He He's accompanied by the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller.
0: This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. That was the final official work on our program,
1: César Franck's Symphonic Variations for Piano and Orchestra, performed by the great American pianist Emmanuel Axe, accompanied by the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. Now, we were really excited not only to have Immanuel Axe come uh, and perform with us this year, but we're additionally excited because I, I sort of hatched a, a project with Immanuel with Axe that, that he and I are both very excited about. I, I've known for many years that he has wonderful, wonderful piano students. You know, he's such an erudite, elegant pianist, and I know that he's taught at the Juilliard School for many years. So I went to him last summer and I said, you know, I've always had the ambition of doing the entire Beethoven piano concerti, all five of them, on two programs kind of in the middle of our season. And I know that other orchestras have done that. And they usually do it with one pianist and uh, they take the tour through the works and kind of do a... The way we're going to do it is, is we're doing a, a sort of exploration of Beethoven's life through these five works and how he developed and evolved. Uh, but to my knowledge, nobody's done them or almost nobody's done them with five different pianists. And I said to him, now is it possible that we could take five of your students from your current class and perform the concerti, each one with a different student? And he laughed and he said, oh, I I don't have five students. I only have one student or sometimes half a student. I only have one at a time because I'm so busy on the road. I I don't have time to teach more than one student. And when he said one and a half, he meant, you know, occasionally has someone who comes and just sees him very occasionally uh, who studies with someone else. At the moment, he has one pianist at Juilliard and one kind of half who comes and sees him in the summer. So, I said, well, how about if we looked back at some of your former students and and did it with people who either have been or currently are students of Emanuel Axe? Well, he loved that idea. And so we've arranged it so that on our February concert, uh, we are going to play over two performances, a Saturday night and Sunday afternoon in Troy, uh, the five piano concerti in order, starting with number two, which is actually if you don't know, uh, is actually the first that he wrote even though it's numbered number two. So we'll go right in order and we'll, we'll give a sort of narrative through the concerts about uh, these works and how they reflected uh, Beethoven's evolution and in addition these five brilliant young pianists will give a sonata recital on Saturday afternoon. So we're very excited all of it at the, Troy, the legendary Troy Music Hall. So we're very excited about that event and among these students are our favorite uh, piano, young pianist Orion Weiss who's been with us many times and also George Lee, a brilliant young pianist who we had when he was about 13 years old. He's about 20 now, and he was just the silver medal winner in the Tchaikovsky competition, so one of the the, arguably the most important music competition in the world. Uh, He's now traveling the world, touring with great orchestras. But fortunately, we're going to get him here with us for this great Beethoven event. But so that's part of the sort of continuing Emanuel Axe celebration, which we'll be experiencing through the year. That's coming up in February. But uh, now, the actual closing of the concert, I did ask, Manny, since the Franc is a, a beautiful, charming work, but not the most barn-burning finale in all, of all times, if he'd be willing to play a, an exciting, fast, lively encore. And he more than complied. Uh, he chose to do uh, Chopin, the third scherzo, which is a terrifyingly virtuosic work, which he plays quite beautifully. So here now, the encore to our performance, Emmanuel Axe performing uh, Chopin's Scherzo Number 3.
0: Thanks for listening to the Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller of the Albany Symphony Orchestra from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org.